Calls them like I see them, alright? Look at it this way. It's the first thing we've done together as a team. I grab my dick, you grab your dick, you work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks anyway. I'm touching my own dick. You're working it, and I'm loving it. Well, enough is enough, and it's time for the rundown. Welcome to the rundown podcast. I'm your host, Troy. This is Jason. We're going to talk about wrestling. You just listen to the theme song. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, that's just kind of how we felt after watching wrestling this week. It's Troy and Jason for the Rundown Wrestling Podcast this week. Jason, yes. how you doing? I, I'm a lot better now that I've got a little separation from, uh, what happened on Monday night. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing okay. Well, we're going to get into that, but first, we had a special pay-per-view event this past weekend. Hell in a Cell took place out of wherever the fuck they were. <laughs> so let's let's go quickly through that and 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 subtle reminder that we are going to be talking about the stuff from Monday and Tuesday in the Perfect Ten segment. So let's go with just what happened at Hell in a Cell here. We started off the pre-show with I can't come up with a, with a funny name for them yet. Uh, but, but Gable and, <laughs> Gable and replacement black guy beat the Hyperonies in a match that I said would be the beginning of the Hyperonies breaking up, which of course, again, they didn't break up. So that happened. Yeah. But, uh, Ebony and Ivory got a big victory there. And, uh, that's good. That's good. I'll take it. That, uh, <laughs> propels them on to what we'll discuss in a little bit. Uh, yeah, the, the, again, the, the Hypros continue to sort of dance around and tease the breakup and not actually do it. And I mm. don't really understand it. And we'll talk about the latest addition to the tag team division in a little bit. Uh, but there's definitely going to be room to break up a tag team now. Yes, that's true. In the, this was the opening match of the card, right? The next one? Yes. Yes, it was. In a match that Jason not only said was the one he was most looking forward to, but quite honestly, the match that probably stole the show, the Usos won the tag team championships by beating the New Day. And by beating, I mean beating the ever-loving fuck out of them. Yeah, I thought everything was in, was really good in this. There was a ton of creativity and thought put into the spots. Uh, it wasn't just throw some shit against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, yeah, the, the spot, particularly with the kendo sticks, where they tied up one of the, I forget what, I'm pulling a JR, I forget which Uso it was. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> well, I know how, I know how much you love that, so. Oh, uh, my God. Fuck that racist. <laughs> so I'm going to, uh, but yeah, I thought the match was great. I thought they did a ton of original stuff, a uh, ton of great false finishes. I thought everything was on point with this. And, uh, like I said, I expected it to be match of the night. I expected it to steal the show, and I think they delivered. Um, I, I have nothing negative to say about this match. 
unlike the next match. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move into that, though, I uh, just to interject, I feel like this Hell in a Cell pay-per-view kind of revitalized the gimmick a little bit. Because I felt that that both Hell in a Cell matches were were very well done. We didn't have a John Cena versus Randy Orton Hell in a Cell match where the cell wasn't even used. We had two incredibly good matches take place in Hell in a Cell. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that was a little bit more spot fest than than the other one, but the storytelling in this one too was I thought really good. Yeah, and we're, we'll get into that a little bit more. But the next match, no better way to say it, Orton buries Rusev. <sighs> yep. Um... Don't really understand it. Don't get the purpose of it. Uh, Orton's at a point where he should just be the guy, sort of what Cena's doing, where he's putting over the younger talent, the new guys, the next generation guys. Uh, instead, we're taking... And we should probably do like a top 10 wasted talent list at some point, because Rusev would have to be near the top of that list. Um, somebody is going to have to explain to me, at some point, somewhere along the way, if you wanted a foreign heel to be your champion, why Jinder Mahal was a better choice than Rusev? Because I feel like Rusev would be killing that role if he had it right now. I I agree. You know, we talk, we've talked at length about the fact that Rusev is an incredibly charismatic performer. Mm-hmm. He's he's an, got incredible work in the ring as well. Yeah. And you know, he puts on these good matches and and he puts himself into every character he's ever ha- ever had. And for whatever reason, they still just can't figure out how to use him or give him a, a sustained push at all. Yeah, I mean, he's good in ring. He's funny. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. You've got a guy of that size with that gimmick who can actually be funny while doing the anti-American gimmick. Like, mm-hmm. that's a gold mine. Yeah, I, I feel there's a lot of similarities between him and Owens in terms of their of their ability to be entertaining as bad guys. Yeah. You know, they've, they've got different skill sets, but they've also got the similar aspect of the fact that, yeah, you, they're going to make you laugh, but they're also going to make you hate them. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Uh, but we, yeah, but we could go on and on about, about Rusev and, and his wasted potential. Uh, speaking of wasted potential, the Big huh. Breakfast defeated the Perfect Ten in a match that also featured AJ Styles, because he didn't take the, take the loss here. And he is your new United States champion. Now we both predicted Baron Corbin was going to be crowned U.S. champion mm-hmm. because of of the fact that yes, you know Styles we knew was kind of going to be moving on to better things, and despite the fact that Sal was very excited about the fact that Ty Dillinger was added to it, we both knew exactly what Ty Dillinger was going to do in this match. He was taking that fucking pinfall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the only reason he was there. Yeah. Uh, although what they ended up doing on SmackDown made that seem like a waste as well. And again, we'll get to that. Uh, I thought oh, the match was are fine. You talk, are you talking about the fact that the Perfect Ten didn't appear on the show that took place on 1010? Well, yeah, that's another another only typical WWE just oversight. Uh, they did do a, they did film a segment with him that's on WWE.com about 1010. So, so we knew he was there. Yeah, no, he was there, and they they recognized it because they did a segment with him in the back. They just didn't put it on the actual show. Uh, but then again, they also forgot to mention you know the fucking champion of the you know, brand on the show. Um, That's true. But yeah, I thought this match was actually better than I thought it was going to be. I thought there were great interactions between particularly Styles and Dillinger. Um, Corbin did what Corbin does. He sort of hung around, hit some power moves. But I will say this, and I don't know if you caught this, but at the end of the match, there was a spot where AJ 
right, I think it was right after AJ hit the phenomenal forearm and Corbin goes in to steal the pin. He goes and like bumps AJ and AJ doesn't go far enough. So he just boots him right in the fucking yeah. face. Very, wow. very stiff shot to AJ who basically just like flew out, mm-hmm. out of the ring and to the ringside area, uh, before Corbin got the victory. I'm not a huge fan of this. I'm not. I'm on record. I'm not a huge fan of Corbin. I think he's one of those guys who's getting pushed more for his size than his actual merit. Um, and I'm sure he'd call me an internet troll, and that's fine. Yeah. But uh, you know, we'll see what he does with it. I'm curious to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I happen to be a Baron Corbin apologist, um, and I actually feel that that between this match and and the match coming up on SmackDown. Corbin has stepped up a little bit, and and he has thrown himself around the, the outside as well, kind of throwing disregard to his own body. His the the the, the spot of him flying over the table, the announce table, and slamming yep. into the chairs showed that the guy is willing to actually take some bumps. So yep. uh, where you've got some other big guys who not so much. But I think we can at least both agree that finally the U.S. title is back into the mid card where it should have been for a long time. Yes. Yes, because now with the fact that you know Styles can move on from here, and he can be thrust back up into the main event event scene, and yes, the U.S. belt is back doing what it's supposed to be doing, and that is building up newer talent and younger guys. Now I know Styles is technically a newer talent, so in terms of WWE, he's only been here for two years. He is a main event player, yeah. and you know this, him holding the U.S. belt, yes, it helped to add some prestige to it. But it's time for the roles to go back to what they needed to be, and that is the U.S. belt is supposed to be there to be putting over some some new guys, and having guys like Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens hold it does kind of hurt some of the younger guys' development and the chance to kind of put them over a little bit more. So, yeah, and I think it's safe to say that uh, AJ Styles' worst U.S. Open challenge run ever. <laughs> yeah, the Open challenge consisted of it's only open to Ty Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty Dillinger stole it once, and yep. Baron Corbin then came out and got jumped by Ty Dillinger. That yeah. was pretty much the entire U.S. Open challenge that AJ Styles offered. Yeah, which sucked because it, it it felt a little bit like that was the end of the gimmick. Yeah, because when when Owens did it, it was it was incredibly funny to have him try to do just the hometown people, and for Chad Gable to keep saying that he just recently moved. <laughs> I thought that at least was a little bit more funny. And of course, you know the classic John Cena Open Challenge, which was one of the best runs for the U.S. belt that we've had in the past maybe decade. Absolutely. So, um, but moving on to a match that nobody gave a shit about. Um, and there's going to be a huge asterisk to you putting Jay next to this. <laughs> no, <laughs> because... no, there is not, because, listen, okay. Originally, when I was scoring this thing, I had it written that neither of us had selected her. And mm. I'm listening to last week's show, and I didn't even remember that. But at the end of our discussion about that, I said, I just have a feeling that some way, somehow, Natty's going to leave with that title. Okay. <laughs> so despite the fact that I thought from a booking standpoint, doing the cash-in was perfect there. Mm-hmm. I, at the end, did end up, apparently subconsciously, selecting Natty to leave with the title somehow. Okay. All right. I'll 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 give it to you. So, Natty um, got DQ'd, and then most likely went to DQ after the back to get to, you know, <laughs> some food. But yes, Natalia is still fucking champion, somehow. And she did it via DQ, which means that this feud is going to continue. And ill. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I didn't have a problem with the match. I thought it was fine for what it was. It wasn't, you know, breaking ground. It wasn't, it was a nice woman's match. I mean, it was certainly better than any of the divas shit we got for a very long time. I will take it. Um, Natalia still can't apply a sharpshooter, and I'm going to point okay. that out every single fucking time we talk about Natalia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even went back and looked at a bunch of old Bret Hart shit just to make sure I wasn't forgetting it. Yeah. And, and you could even say, okay, well, she does her own version. Okay, fine. But then stop calling it the Hart family sharpshooter. Right. Like, if he's doing her own version, then she needs to say, you know, like, Charlotte does the figure four, but changed it to the figure eight. Because right. it's twice as good. There was a build to like, hey, I know I'm not doing it the same way my dad did. Right. Like, all right, but that's non sequitur. Um, yeah, I, my biggest problem with this was that they told the whole story of, of Natty taking out Charlotte's knee and, and did that. And then Charlotte's either a complete fucking moron or like she climbs to the top to do a moonsault out to the floor mm-hmm. when you've already got a bad knee. Yep. But again, this is the woman who has always had an issue remembering that she's supposed to sell injuries because she's had bad knees in the past that had no problem putting in the figure eight, which is all about twisting your own knee around a person's knee. And that should hurt you as well. Mm. And she just pops back up and she's like, oh, I'm fine. Just joking. She doesn't have bad knees, Troy. She has bad tits. That's right. That's true. Why can't we have both? And in in a match that allows us to continue to leave the WWE champion off of the perfect end, Jinder Mahal retained his championship. Again. Yeah, and to me, this was basically the, the burial of Shinsuke. Um, basically looks like an idiot. Went out. Yeah. There was no interference. This was a clean win. Basically, there was there was nothing here. You took an inferior opponent and mm-hmm. gave him a clean win over Shinsuke. Like there were outs. There were ways you could have told the story and saved face for Shinsuke. Yeah. Instead, you decided to have him lose clean to a guy who's not at the level he is and yep. basically told us that this guy is not as good. He's just an entrance to borrow yep. a phrase from Dolph Ziggler. That's what you told us about Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, I don't think they did him any favors rebuilding him on, on SmackDown with that stupid tag match they put him in. And yeah, he got the pinfall in there, but who really cares? Uh, there's no furtherment to the character. And the WWE champion didn't even fucking bother to show up for SmackDown. I understand <laughs> that he was on a tour of India. Yep. I understand he's doing promotional work, but it's, it's a post pay per view television. At least film the fucking backstage thing at the pay-per-view mm-hmm. to air with him. To, so you sort of further the fact that the fucking champions... I don't even think they mentioned him on commentary. I, I, I wouldn't know. I tried to tune out commentary as much as possible. I'm sure they threw in a couple of, of mentions to him during the Shinsuke match. But otherwise, yeah, he was a non-factor on the show that he's supposed to be the, the big champion of. Um, but speaking of bad booking, let's take our new dude... <sighs> Brand spanking new. His his first match on, on pay-per-view, bringing in the audience of people who don't even watch SmackDown. And then let's have him beat Dolph Ziggler, but beat him in a way that makes it seem like he was desperate and it was a fluke. Bobby Roode beat Dolph Ziggler via roll-up and tight grab in a match that he got very little offense in. In fact, and... You know, we'll talk about it a little bit here. Dolph did mention the fact that, yes, he beat the ever-loving piss out of Bobby Roode. Bobby Roode stole a victory 
This is the guy who we're trying to build up, mind you. I'm okay with that. I mean, this pay-per-view debut, he won the match. Um, heels usually dominate most of the match. That's basically the way they tell the story. And then you get the hope spots and the comebacks for the faces. Um, it is what it is. I was, I took much greater exception to what happened on SmackDown, which we'll talk about in a little bit between these two. Oh, um, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, like, it was fine. I think people expected these two because of their work rates to go in there and put on a really good match. And I think they failed to deliver in that regard. And I think that's, that's the biggest problem here. Yeah. I, I agree with you. This, this was a, a nothing match. And yeah, we know that Dolph can put on some some great matches and make guys look great, and this didn't do really do favors for either one. But can he really though? I'm starting yeah. to wonder. I mean, we know Dolph's a good worker, but think of who, who the great matches he's had he's had with the Miz. Well, we know the Miz has really stepped up and become one of the better workers in the company now. Yeah, especially with his personality. Dolph mm-hmm. had a Dolph had a really good run with Alberto. But, you know, for all his personal flaws, we know Alberto's good in the ring. I mean, who who else have, have had great, great matches with Dolph Ziggler? Yeah, that is true. I'm I mean, maybe we that. have just overrated him as a worker. I don't know. I could be wrong, maybe, but I'm trying to remember, you know, what what it is that makes this guy a great worker other than other people carrying storylines for him. True. In our main event, Kevin Owens defeated Shane McMahon. And in a moment that none of us saw uh, coming, uh, 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 <laughs> none of us at uh, all uh, saw uh, this coming. Okay, okay, you might you might have mentioned that this might happen. <laughs> Kevin Owens, after a grueling match, got put onto the table. Shane McMahon ascended to the rafters, and as he was coming down with the elbow, a wild Sami Zayn appeared and pulled Kevin Owens away. And Shane O'Mac slammed into the announce table, sans airbag this time, to allow Kevin Owens to beat Shane McMahon. Yeah, this was this was the definition of what a main event should be. Mm-hmm. It had personal aspects. It had it had hatred between the competitors. It had fire. It had passion. It had everything you want. It had Kevin Owens mocking Shane's kids right in front oh of him. Oh my gosh! It had. <laughs> Spots that made you just like your heart stop because like I don't know about you, but I'm watching that when they're on top of the cage doing pop up power bombs. I'm expecting the oh Undertaker or Mick Foley spot and somebody's breaking through it. Like my heart was literally stopping during this match, expecting someone to die. Um, it had it. You did. It didn't have the airbag, but it did have some extra padding on that table at the end. Well, yeah, of um, course. Uh, we're, we're we're not going to literally kill him, but yeah, we you, yes we ha- we but, got to see. <laughs> But you had great storytelling just within the context of the match. You had Kevin Owens thinking about jumping off and going through Shane McMahon, and then realize you, you see the inner struggle of like this could be this could ruin my career, and am I going to take mm-hmm. him? Am I going to do that to take him out? And yep. I, I thought everything they did was picture perfect, and it worked straight up and into up to and including having. Kevin Owens' biggest rival come to the ring and help him out. And like you said, I did I did say this was a possibility, and I said that only because a couple weeks back, 
we had a segment where Sh- Sammy went to talk to Shane and help him out, and Shane basically dismissed him like a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And we eventually would find out on SmackDown that that was in fact the reason. Yeah, uh, at least in yeah. kayfabe. But let's but, let's let's put a table on that yeah. one right now but, and send it through the table. Uh, <laughs> much like Kevin Owens did when he went for for the uh, um, the the barrel roll into the table. Um, yeah, this this was phenomenal. This was a great match. Um, we and we and we both knew going into it that this between this and the Usos match, this it was going to be hard to figure out which one was going to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, just because of the people involved, I I liked this one better than than the Usos match, but it was so close because mm-hmm. they both did a, did a did a great job on this. Um, so before we we spoil any more of the Perfect Ten, it's time to move into the Perfect Ten. The Perfect Ten. A ten. A ten. A fucking ten. Pause for inserting. All right. Speaking of inserting, I'm just gonna start off off with it because it's the best segue I've got. Let's get fisted. <laughs> so we got the Shield reunion, and they surprise. Had, it was a surprise reunion. It was, it was a complete surprise. So much so that they already have merchandise on. <laughs> Those those promotional guys work fast in the back, don't they? They do, man. They have a screen printing press right in the back there. Hats off to those guys. I know. So it started off with uh, uh, the Miz TV segment, which I think all of us knew as soon as it was announced that the bar was going to be on the Miz TV segment, that the the people were going to get fisted here. So, of course, it, it broke down, and we got the Shield reuniting, beating the fuck out of all three of these guys, and, you know, fisting in the middle of the ring, Everybody cheering, and we thought, okay, well that was that was a nice segment there, but wait, there's more, more fisting because <laughs> more fisting because what shield reunion would be complete without a triple power bomb, <laughs> and what shield reunion would be complete without them beating the fuck out of a big muscly dude? That big muscly dude happened to be Braun Strowman, so. I'm okay with them using Braun Strowman here because of the history that Roman Reigns has mm-hmm. with him. And it makes a lot more sense than them just randomly attacking Ryback just to make a statement. Well, it's not so, even just his history with Roman. I mean, the last couple of weeks he had beaten up and beaten up and pinned Ambrose and Rollins. So the entire group yep. had history recently with him. Yeah. It was very, it was very well put together, um, reunion here. Obviously, you know, the Shield reunion is probably not going to last very long. Um, this is most likely to get us to probably the end of the year. Or, or near about that way before we start getting into WrestleMania season, because mm-hmm. obviously we know Roman's got big plans for WrestleMania, and it's not going to be a Shield match. Uh, but in the meantime, this is great. It gets the three of them together. It kind of keeps them all away from the main title picture, because we don't have a main title picture, because we don't have Brock. And, uh, you know, it, it helps maybe to elevate the tag titles a little bit, because the Raw tag titles have been a little meh lately. So... Having having the shield kind of do it, I'm, it'd be nice if maybe they just freebird it, but <laughs> uh, that's that's fine. I'm I'm fine with it, and sure, let's get fisted. See, uh, there were a couple other little things that went along with this. Uh, first off, I you said I it's not going to last very long. I don't know that that's true. I could totally see a scenario where they sort of do a horseman gimmick where Roman do, is off doing this single thing, a la Ric Flair, but the other two are still affiliated. You know, they're not. Yeah. They don't have to be in six-man tag matches all the time to still be sort of a group. I mean, even in the first run, Ambrose was more of the singles guy. Well, 
um, Roman and Seth were the tag champs and, and doing mostly tag matches. So I could totally see that being the scenario they go with. Um, as for what happened on Monday, I thought it was done really well. I thought, obviously, despite the predictability of it, I thought the way they integrated them into Miz TV was really well. The only, if I had to come up with one small nitpick, I would have preferred sort of for Miz to get away and to kind of save that spot of the Miz taking the big triple powerbomb for the pay-per-view, like the, to close mm-hmm. out that pay-per-view match, just kind of keep that fresh. But at the same time, the three of them laying over the lifeless body of the Miz was sort of a great visual, so I can kind of understand it. Um, but all in all, I thought they, I thought everything, it was the part of Raw that I thought was done really well all yeah. throughout. And yeah, I thought I they gave a credible that. reason to include Strowman in the match now and make it obviously a handicap match at the pay-per-view. You got mm-hmm. what, four on, four on three now and that sort of evens the field a little bit. I thought I, everything's great. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. All in all, it was, it was a good, good welcome back segment for them. And it didn't make any of them feel marginalized either. Yes. It wasn't the it wasn't the Roman show. It was the Shield. Yep. You know, collectively. So I think the only thing I, maybe I would have done a little differently is when Roman when when they sort of come out, have them come out. All, Ambrose and Rollins come out together to the original Shield music. Yeah. Drop the Sierra Hotel, Indi- like that, that whole deal, mm-hmm. rather than having them come out one at a time to their individual singles music, because the whole point of this was to show them as a collective unit again. Except mm-hmm. to do that, you bring them out as singles guys. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how how they'll come out um, on the next Raw and as as well as um, you know at at, at the next pay per view too. I, I'm interested to see if they do change that over because this was the first time that we kind of had them all together. Um, having them all wear the same shirt was you know was a nice touch at least not only to sell merchandise obviously but to show them that yeah you know they're they're even willing to throw aside their own colors to to reunite as a unit so. So yeah, um, so speaking of units that we're, that we're gonna play around with, uh, Alexa Bliss and Mickey James play cougars versus kittens. Yeah, this was fucking phenomenal. I, I thought everything about this was great. I thought Mickey comes out, she cuts a great promo, one of her best, I think. Um, sort of shades to the old days with Trish. I think it was that level of promo for Mickey where she was really just on top of her game. I thought everything she said was believable, credible, made sense. I loved everything about her promo. Uh, cue up Alexa Bliss, who comes out with the sad eyes, doing the whole blah, 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 mm-hmm. and I made this tribute to you. And then they play like the black and white, old-timey voice <laughs> talking about it, and just talking about Mickey's career accomplishments, yada, yada, yada. Alexa drops a, a VHS tape reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they do the whole ah fine I'll fight you ah, no you have to wait kind of deal and that was I, I just thought everything about it was was amazing I thought both performers were just top of their game yeah and it the, it continues to be um uh, a really good good showcase of both of them mm-hmm. um, because you oftentimes in feuds you know we we've seen it before where one person kind of feels not as credible as the other one but these but they both feel very credible and they're both getting their getting their shots in they're both you know telling a story that makes you you know think that they're both kind of equally matched here so um which is not the same thing that's about to happen to Emma <laughs> because oh boy Emma won a match for the opportunity to be squashed by Ashka. <laughs> Ashka? Who the fuck is Ashka? Ashka? Is I'm that drunk. the Jewish version? Yes. 
Yeah. So Emma is going to face Asuka at TLC. And she's going to get obliterated. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. We'll see. Because considering <sighs> we just had Bobby Roode squeak out a victory, maybe, maybe we'll just see Asuka, you know, get her, get the shit handed to her by Emma. And then, you know, do a roll up. Okay. So from a kayfabe perspective, and let's, let's, I, I understand what they're trying to do here, but let's approach this for a second from a kayfabe perspective, if I can. Um, what you've just told the rest of the world is that Asuka's the new hotness, and mm-hmm. these five girls are shit. Yep. Because these five girls, including multiple former women's champions, mm-hmm. and when he said three former women's champions, I had to stop and remember for a fact that Alicia Fox was once she a champion. Yes, uh, she was. <laughs> so these five women, again, three former diva women's champions in WWE, are competing for the right to take on a rookie. Because... That's what Asuka is in Kayfabe and on Raw. She's a rookie. Yep. And I'm not sure the announcers knew what the formula of the match was, because I'm pretty sure Cole thought that Bailey won the whole thing when she scored her pinfall, mm-hmm. even though it was the second fall of the match, because yep. Michael Cole's an idiot. <laughs> He's an idiot. Yep. Um, if you read the reports, this match changed a bunch of times. It was supposed to be next week, then it was this week, and then it was triple threat, and that was a five, four-way, and that's a five... Nia Jax was in it, and then was inexplicably not in it. Um, ultimately, and in the end, I think they probably got to the right place. I think Emma was the easy choice. She's worked with Asuka before, so she you know we know she can make her look good. Uh, and it doesn't really hurt her to lose, because she's been losing, so it doesn't really change anything in that regard. Um, so I'm okay with the finish. I just thought the way they told the story made the other five women just look like fucking awful. So take take that kayfabe a step further. What incentive do any of these women have to being in a match against Asuka? What incentive did they have to win this match? Uh, you could make a case that it's exposure on a pay-per-view. But not really. Well, I They're mean, Asuka's <laughs> debut is going to be a big deal. So to be the person in the ring with the opportunity to sort of steal that spotlight while all eyes are on you. I suppose. Hey, here's, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me change that for a second. Here's a quick fun fact. <laughs> Emma, in the past four years, has not had a winning record in win-loss matches for matches. She is five and twelve so far this year. She's a little bit better than the Kurt Hawkins of the women's division. <laughs> So, yeah, you talk about her losing. Yep, that's pretty much what she does. She loses. Well, okay, so let me then ask you, let, let's, let me just pose this question to you. Uh-huh. Would you rather be Emma at 5 and 12 and have a lot of matches on TV, or would you rather be Alicia Fox? Alicia Fox. Let's see what her win-loss record is. I actually like three matches with Sasha Banks. Was... Here's your Here's your new... <laughs> Here's your, here's your news segment for the week. Alicia How much Fox, does Alicia Fox weigh? Just so curious. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Alicia Fox is four and nine on televised uh, matches. Okay, so, so fewer matches. A f- yeah, like six feet, like five fewer matches. Okay, it's still five fewer matches. But would I rather be Emma or Alicia Fox? I'd rather be Emma because she has much better titties. 
Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, you're talking about like career wise. Um, and, and by the way, Alicia Fox is 130 pounds. Um, (laughs) yeah, at least Emma is involved in storylines. Alicia Fox also, I don't know if she's a healer face until she starts acting a little bit in a match or in a backstage segment. So yeah, there's that too. She, she kind of (laughs) sucks. That's why she was so popular with the cruiserweights. Speaking of cruiserweights. <laughs> you like that segue? That was a good one, yeah. So, oh boy. Um, this one's hard because there's a potential for me to step on one of your news segments. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get to the newsworthy part okay. of this. So let's just go, let's focus. We'll just, we'll just focus on what it is. So a handy, or not a handicapped, um, a lumberjack match. Mentally handicapped, maybe. Yes. A lumberjack match was set up. Whereas they were going to waive the no contact clause for Enzo in order for him to defend the championship against Kalisto. If you could waive it for this match, why didn't you just waive it so anyone could face him? Yeah. That's not how <laughs> contracts work. Yeah. Yeah. Like you signed so, this contract saying we're only going to do this, but we're going to suspend that for tonight. Like, yep. no, that's not a thing. You no. can't fucking do that. Because then you could have had Neville face him. Exactly. Oh, wait. No, you couldn't have. Um, oh, we'll get there. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so Kalisto was involved in a match. And, of course, all of the cruiserweights hate Enzo. So, anytime he was thrown out there. Actually, he was thrown out of the ring twice. The first time he managed to sneak back in. The second time he did get his ass handed to him. And, but Kalisto did get, get knocked out one time and got the crap beat out of him by the heel side of, the, of it. I hate lumberjack matches. They're retarded. And Kalisto is your new Cruiserweight champion just a mere three weeks after Enzo Amore marked the destruction of the Cruiserweight division. Uh, and I thought Enzo had been doing a great job in this role and much, much like they did to Enzo, not to Enzo, but much like they did to Neville, um, a couple weeks back with the whole gimmick they did with, um, shit. Oh, who was our champion then? Who um, was our champion then? Who was that guy? Oh, that's right. Akira Tozawa. Yes, Tozawa. See, uh, that's the problem, is you had to think about who won it from him. And I'd probably still be thinking about it if you hadn't said it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and, and that's sort of what they did again with this. And I, I just fucking let things marinate, really, because you had a great thing going with Enzo. You had the start of a very cool program with him as sort of the heel that everybody hates and they all want to see the title come off of them. And you basically just did it. And like I said, there were extenuating circumstances. This wasn't a match that was scheduled originally. Um, and, and we'll get to all of that, but this just made no fucking sense to me. And I think we all know what's coming up at the fucking pay-per-view. Enzo's going to take the title back. And this ultimately this, this title reign will be meaningless. But I, I feel like they just sort of wrote themselves into a corner with this clause that they put on TV for no reason, and then couldn't figure out a good way to get out of it, so they just went, ah, fuck it, we'll just pretend it never happened. Yep, pretty much. And that was just, it was horrible. The creative department should be drawn and quartered for that, and that wasn't even the dumbest shit the creative department did on Monday. This is the moment where Troy is going to sit back in his chair and he's going to allow Jason to talk about Sister Abigail. 
Take it away. Fuck you. WWE creative, fuck you. Because this is the shit that makes people embarrassed to tell people they're wrestling fans. Okay? This is the shit that makes me a lifelong wrestling fan. Somebody who hosts a wrestling fucking podcast and needs to watch the shows. It's shit like this that makes that a chore rather than an enjoyment. It's shit like this that is slowly suffocating the life and fan interest out of your product. You had it all set up on a silver fucking platter. You wrote a great story. You had the opening to bring in a new character who'd be a made fucking person from the very beginning, could become ultimately a focal point of your women's division, could be something that people would be talking about on end, and even provide you an opening to maybe bring Becky Lynch in to be a second for Finn Balor. You could have done so much stuff with this. Instead, what do we get? Do we get do we get a great introduction of a new character? No, 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 no. We don't get that. Because fuck you, we don't get that. No. What do we get? We get Bray fucking Wyatt, some really bad After Effects graphics, some bad face paint, a shitty voice modulator, and Bray Wyatt is half-woman. He has the spirit of Sister Abigail. So you explain to me how that fucking translates once they get in the ring. Is he gonna, how are we gonna know when he's Sister Abigail and when he's Bray? Is he gonna magically morph in the middle of the fucking match? No, he's not, cause it's not possible! Is he gonna start grabbing a microphone and doing commentary during his matches so we can tell which one he is by the voice? Nope, that's not gonna happen either. You took an opportunity to make an amazing fucking story, and you took a big, steaming, giant shit all over it. And fuck you. I kind of liked it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, this this was bad, and this is what we were worried about. We wanted so much for those rumors to be fake, and they weren't fake. Bray Wyatt is literally going to cross dress in his match against Finn Balor. Do, so, do you know how fucking bad this is? Do you know how fucking bad this this entire feud has fucking been? It makes me long for the Randy Orton program with Bray Wyatt. Oh boy. I, that, this has now surpassed that as worst angle of the year. It's, it's hard, it's hard to argue with that. Honestly, it is. So, yeah, that's, that is definitely a thing that happens. Um, I don't know what happens from here. And I don't know that I want to know what happens. We're gonna, from we're gonna either. find out that, uh, Sister Abigail and Bray Wyatt had an illegitimate child. It was the gobbledygooker who is now possessing fucking Bo, Bo fucking, uh, Dallas. And that's why he wasn't on the show. Uh, and then he's going to come out at the pay-per-view flapping his wings. You know, it's just, it's, it's some fucking stupid horse shit like that. That would be interesting. Hmm. Oh. Fuck so, you, WWE creative. Fuck you. Fuck you and your fucking asses. Well, Four stains. Since we're in such a bad mood, uh, let's get let's get real. Let's talk about Mike Canales. Okay. Huh? Okay. 
This might help okay. me calm down a little bit. So, um, we on, on the rundown here, um, we're obviously not very happy with the treatment that Mike Canellas had. And then some news came out that we discussed before. You, in mean, regards, you mean where he wasn't getting pushed because he was too fat? Yes. That yes. news? Yeah. So that news, of course, was actually not that he was not in shape. Because that wasn't but, really a thing. Because that wasn't really a thing. That was something that, that Tuna Meltzer made up. <laughs> no, the issue was that Mike Canellis let management know that he was dealing with a painkiller addiction. Now, we know that wrestling has had a very, very, very bad past in regards to uh, drug abuse, pill abuse, and, and other things like that. It still does. But any time that you have a collection of people from different walks of life that you bring together, those things are going to happen. Um, but this was a, was a gentleman who, from all accounts, uh, didn't seem like he was actually dealing with it at all. He was very good at hiding the fact that he did have an addiction problem, an addiction to painkillers, one that's been going on for, for years. Yeah, I think he said three years. Yeah. And, uh, I can attest, I mean, obviously he mentioned that his wife didn't even know about it, but I can attest with, in knowing and working with guys who were at least familiar with, if not close to Mike, that, that a lot of people were taken by surprise with this announcement. Yeah. So WB put out a, a, a very well produced video. Excellent. Where, yeah. Where Mike Canales not only, you know, uh, publicly admitted to the fact that he had an addiction, but talked about it as well. And discuss the fact that he is working on, um, on, you know, on beating this thing in, in a point in his life where obviously he's just found out as well that he's about to be a dad. So not only does he have that going on, but he's also got the fact that he's got this big opportunity with WWE that he doesn't want to waste as well. He doesn't want to also hurt his wife's chances to continue to work with the WB and continue to, you know, to function as a person. So, um, he's clearly going to be using, um, the fact that he wants to be a good dad and a good husband as a catalyst to get clean. And of course, you know, we wholeheartedly support anybody trying to get clean, but also publicly talking about the fact that they're going to try to get clean. Yeah. And this video, if you haven't seen it was put together just beautifully. It's, uh, slowly narrated by Mike as he starts to tell his story, uh, and it segues into um, a sit-down interview that he and Maria did with Renee Young. Uh, he goes through the whole process, explains everything, and they sort of tagged on at the end the part about them expecting their first child. I, it was an amazingly well-done video, um, and honestly, I'm a little upset that they didn't run it on SmackDown proper. I think for a couple reasons. One, I think it would have reached a larger audience. And if it's going to have influence on people who are dealing with the same problem and can, you know, use Mike as an example of, of how to, you know, pull yourself up and get, get help for your problems. I think putting that on air where the most fucking people can see it instead of hiding it on your website. I, like I said, I happen to run in the same circles as people who know Mike very well so they were sharing it on my facebook feed and that's really how i found it otherwise i may not have seen it um but yeah and i think that was a mistake and i think you could then take this situation and use it to build mike up as a very sympathetic very strong baby face and you just take a guy like jinder or a guy like kevin owens or a guy like Sami Zayn now 
and have them, you know, sort of mock Mike and, and, and talk about how weak he is and that's how he ended up where he is and blah, blah, blah. The crowd will fucking eat that shit up if you tell the story to them. And this guy will become a huge baby face if done the right way. Uh, in an era where we, we badly need faces on Raw, on, on SmackDown, because who are the faces on that show right now? I mean, Sammy was the only one, but, and, and that's, I guess, a great example, because you look at Sammy and say, if they can't make this guy a fucking baby face that works, I don't think they can do it anymore. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe we'll see that. Maybe they, they will play this up. You know, it's, it's the kind of first week that they've had this video. Um, but, uh, either way, you know, we here obviously wish Mike, you know, all, all the strength that he has in, in, in fighting this and getting over this. And, and we hope that he recovers from this and is able to come back and not only do what he loves, but also, you know, be, be a role model to, you know, his, his unborn child too. Yeah, and, and anybody that knows Mike's story knows that he's fought from heavy odds just to get to where he's at. So I think if anybody can beat this thing, it'll probably be somebody like Mike. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he's he's here. And not everybody thought he was going to make it here. So, um, you know, really really cool. Bad timing, obviously, <laughs> right at the beginning of his, of his career. But, you know, hopefully... He's got enough support back in that locker room that that this won't affect him, you know, in a professional means. It's interesting that you say bad timing because, in a weird, strange sort of kind of way, maybe it's not. Maybe it's actually perfect timing because when you think about it, if this doesn't come out, we're just looking at nine months, ten months of Mike Canellis with no Maria, who's really right. the draw for him. This gives him some substance and some depth to a character, if it's utilized properly, if that story is told, you've given this character some life away from Maria. Right. And on, on a more personal note, too, if him signing with WWE was the catalyst for him to try to get clean, then that's great as well. Um, rather, it was that or the announcement of, of the pregnancy or just it was it was time to do it. Um, we're glad that that time is now. So, and, and you know, I mentioned they they didn't air it on the main show, but I will say this: uh, props to WWE for not like you know just releasing the guy, instead helping him get yeah. help and telling that story and and giving that uh, to the public as a way of maybe helping someone else. So, uh, hats off to them. I shit on them a lot when I think it's deserved, but in this case, I thought they did they did a, a really great thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So. With that, let's get back in. Uh, no, no funny segues from the from that. Let's go ahead and get back into to a little bit of wrestling talk here, and let's talk about the tag team division. So, uh, in what was pretty much a jam packed segment here, we got the New Day and the Usos meeting for the first time since since their Hell in a Cell match, and the Usos cut what could only be kind of called as a semi face promo mm-hmm. because they. They gave props to the New Day, and you know they 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 did their normal shtick, but they also talked up the fact that only the New Day could could get this match out of them, and you know and and they were feeling the pain from it, but they knew that there were other guys who were feeling the pain from it, and that was the New Day. And so we we started off with that, and kind of the fact that they were maybe getting a truce to them, so kind of closing the book on this. You know, on, on this feud without really having, 
you know, to do another match between the two of them to have the Usos win two in a row or anything like that. So they, they just kind of were like, we're going to use this, this, this promo as a way to say, Hey, we did it. We got these belts. You guys did, did an awesome job. We're, we're just going to go our separate ways for a little bit. Us. So then after that, they were interrupted by the hype bronies. And then the, uh, Brizango, Ascension, Shelton and Gable, they all came out as well and uh, kind of tried to stake their claim of talking about the fact that... And, and the Colognes, because they're on SmackDown too, right? No, they, no, they, they weren't they weren't there. They, no. they, but they're on SmackDown, tag team. And... Yep, I I know, I know. They they weren't invited to this. But all the tag teams on SmackDown were... So they... Well, no, no, not all of them, because we also didn't have the Super Smash Brothers there either. <laughs> um... <laughs> More on them in a second. So then, after that, uh, Daniel Bryan came out, and boy, this guy can make the crowd do whatever he wants. Because he came out, and he managed to make the crowd boo him. Because he told the Usos in the New Day to get out of the ring. And the crowd booed him. <laughs> and then, of course, he said, because these four teams, who are the only other members of the tag division, none of nobody else exists, we're going to be in a fatal four-way tag teams clusterfuck match, the winner of which would get a chance to face the Usos in a, a, a chance for the, the titles, because Daniel Bryan can't really talk anymore from all of his injuries. And so, yes, we had... Oh, before that, I want I do, I do want to say, the Usos proceeded to go through every one of the tag teams and say... What was it? Something like they we we got you on lockdown or some shit like that. Some fucking weird talk. They were going to say the same thing about Brizango, and the New Day stepped and said, "No, no, 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 no. Brizango's cool. Brizango's cool." Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the Usos were like, "Okay, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right." I so, love the Fashion Files. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Fashion Files. So I thought that was a great moment. Uh, but yeah, so we so then we decided to turn around and 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 had a match. So what what did you think about the Usos New Day promo? And then what did you think about the subsequent match? I thought the Usos uh, were phenomenal in their promo. I think their promo work has been really great. I know some some people had issues with those ones earlier on when they were walking through the crowd. I thought they were really getting hitting their stride as a team. I think this took it to another level. I think the way they work together in their promos, where one starts talking and the other one throws in uh, lines, I think this is brilliant. Um, I thought the New Day was great here. Then you got to the part where all the teams start coming out and... It is what it is. Um, I thought this would have been a great time to sort of build someone new up, like the Ascension. They obviously ended up going with uh, Gable and Benjamin, which is fine. I'm a fan of them, too. I think it's going to make for a good series of matches with the Usos. Uh, there were a couple of things. Uh, Daniel Bryan comes out and says, this isn't the night for this. This isn't the night for this because we have this fatal four-way. And at that point, it seems like that was the perfect fucking night for this because yeah. you have a match that's being set up by what they're doing. So right, his his whole promo felt weird and it really was disjointed. And then he was kind of stumbling over it because he didn't. I don't even think he understood what the promo was about. Yeah, so. I, I thought the placement was a little strange too to open the show with this when you probably should have opened with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Um, you think back to the Attitude Era, whatever the biggest angle that came out of that pay per view was what the viewer was anticipating and opening the next show. 
Um, and that's something they don't do as much anymore that I think was missing here. I think that would have been the way to open the show, and then you could have worked this in a little bit later. But they didn't. I thought this was all, all in all, all everything considered, I thought this was good. Um, as I left the pay-per-view, though, I recall being told that uh, I would be seeing, uh, what's it called, uh, Pulp Fashion? Nope. I, I didn't see any Pulp Fashion, so... Nope. Nope. So I, I guess they lied about that. No, you were wrong. We never promised it. They said it at the pay-per-view? No, no. No, that was, a, that was a figment of your imagination. Never happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought... It must have been like how I thought the, the the colognes were in this tag thing. No, no, they're not. They don't. They're not even employed. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We don't. We don't have anyone with the last name of Cologne that works here. Oh, uh, like, that's that's something that's something you spritz on your body. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, Rosango so made that joke at one point. I'm sure they did. Yeah, we've we've had a bad history of next week the Fashion Files returns and then no, it doesn't. <laughs> and oh, hey. Next week, Pulp Fashion is on. Nope, no, it's not. So, yeah, WWE continues to do that kind of shit. So nothing new there. Um, but yeah, um, on top of that, we also got the re-debut of, I'm not calling them the Bludgeon Brothers, but I do hope there's a porno called the Bludgeon Brothers. Harper and Rowan returned in a, oh boy, in an Ascension-type promo of, and talked about levels of bad. As they had big, bulky, fake hammers over their shoulders, um, their normal kind of crazy garb, but also, you know, the uh, Rowan had his his sheep mask on, and Harper had his hoodie on, and they were all torn up, and they gave a terrible fucking promo, which is sucks because we know Harper can really talk, but this this was not a good showcase of it. To announce that, yeah, the the Bludgeon, Bludgeon Brothers, see, that's why I'm not going to call them because I can't even fucking pronounce it, have, are, are coming. And they are, of course, still... But were you? Opera. No, I wasn't, because I was pissed off the fact that they have yet again wasted Brody Lee, one of my favorite indie performers of all time. So, yeah, Luke Harper continues to get saddled with the Big Red Retard... <laughs> And yeah, so wasn't that have... Kane's name at one point? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, but he he doesn't uh, exist anymore. So, so yeah. So the Super Smash Brothers. What what is your thoughts on them? Uh, just more fucking horse shit from WWE Creative. By the way, have I told you? Fuck you, Creative. Um, uh, what is fuck it? Let, let's let's get down. We we talk about all the time about WWE Creative. The fuck is creative that they do? Because this is not fucking creative. This no. has taken two guys who used to be a tag team, split up, went singles. Luke Harper sort of had a little thing going there at one point where you yep. could have made a case for him to be involved in the title match at WrestleMania. And instead, the the geniuses at Creative decide, you know what we should do? We should put these, we should put these guys in a tag team. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, by the way, Jason Jordan, you know how we took him out of a tag team? You know what helped get him over? Fuck a tag team, Matt Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, can I can I segue one second? I know we're sort of off raw, but I I, I say something. Something about this shit bothered yeah. me. Go ahead. Because um, I was reading an interview where people were just like shitting all over, and I I I, I boo Jason Jordan because I don't like the angle. It's not believable that he's Kurt Angle's kid. And I'm think I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, motherfucker, you believed that Kane was the Undertaker's brother. 
who the Undertaker thought was dead, but burned his parents. Like, that shit was cool. Yeah. But the notion that Kurt Angle fucked a black chick, which we know he likes to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> was too off the fucking rails for you to buy into? I think WWE fans need to relax a little fucking bit. Like, yeah, it's a little bit campy, a little bit hokey, but it's it's far from the least fucking believable story angle they've ever done. Let's let's I'm I'm sorry, can you can you just for a second remind me who who was the father of the Undertaker and Kane? Oh that was that was Paul Bear. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And and this is hard to understand. The like five foot five fat guy made two hulking abominations. Yeah. That's Ho- too much. <laughs> Hornswoggle as Vince McMahon's kid was fine. Well, I mean, that's that's dwarfism. That's that's something that actually happens. We <laughs> we have we have no problem believing or have the Undertaker comes out and makes lightning shoot out of his fucking hands. Kane lit people on fire with fireballs. And and a wrestler being the son of another wrestler, that's that's where you draw. That's where you you can't dis, can't suspend disbelief. Edge and Christian were kayfabe brothers for the longest time, and people were shocked when they stopped calling them brothers. They're like, they're not brothers. Hey, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins aren't really brothers either. They were listed as twins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I just I that that story I read it this weekend. I was like, I, I it didn't make the perfect ten, didn't make the news segment, but I I had to fucking bring that up because I I just got sort of angry reading it. But in any event, uh, back to the tag team division. Yeah, the the Bludgeon Brothers is one of the dumbest fucking things they've come up with, and sadly, you can put them back together as a team, but you saddle them with this shit, they're just going to be Ascension 2.0 and eventually turn into a comedy act. Yeah. Very true. That's 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 my exact issue with it is that I just feel this is saddling them with a gimmick that's destined to fail because you could just have them come back as badasses. Have them There's do no... a complete fucking makeover. Shave the beards. Be something completely fucking different from a Wyatt. Disassociate mm-hmm. yourself completely from the Wyatt family. The problem these guys are going to have is as long as they're walking around with the same fucking look they had when they were in the Wyatts, that's all people are going to think they are. Right. We've we've seen it before. We've seen people be able to get out of the shadow of, you know, being a part of a, of a group. You know, look at the Nexus members. People don't really remember them as Nexus members anymore, you know? You Does anybody at, at, think of Dolph Ziggler as a Spirit Squad member? Right, exactly. You know, repackaging has worked in the past. I mean, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin obviously is one of the the big ones that everyone can point to as a complete fucking makeover with a different look. Um, but there's been a shit ton of other people that have been able to to have you know get through bad gimmicks and get over things, and they're just desperately clinching clutching on to the look that these guys have. So, I mean, I don't know, but either, I mean, either perhaps either, like they're I, not in jeans and wife beaters anymore, and. He's not in the, the coveralls, who knows? Maybe that would at least be a start, but... Well, we'll see. Because there's, there's, there's no guarantee that they don't come out with the exact same ring gear the next time they actually wrestle. Uh, but either way, the promos need to get better. Because that first one was fucking god-awful. Their yeah. delivery was god-awful. The, the shit that they were saying was god-awful. Um, I, honestly, them. I don't know how that even makes air. It was that bad. It was. 
like I said, there was no believability between, behind what they were saying. And this slow talking and like enunciating stuff, like I said, it was essentially the Ascension. So, which is a, which is a good, good title for this, essentially the Ascension. Uh, so six or nine, because obviously we're saving ten for last. Uh, let's go with nine. All right. So let's go ahead and get back down in the dumps here. <laughs> As Bobby Wood came out. He talked about how his victory was glorious, despite the fact that, you know, it really wasn't. And then Dolph Ziggler came out. Take it away, Jason. <laughs> uh, well, first off, let's start with the fact that Dolph Ziggler's music hits, and then there's a record scratch. Yeah, that's true. Because we are to what? Believe that the fucking music is on a pair of turntables back there, and somebody's wow. like, fucking dj mikey m is back there spinning the tracks as these guys come to the ring is that what we're supposed to fucking believe like just it, it's 2017 people jesus fucking christ i don't mind the shutting off all the lights and entrances thing it sort of fits the gimmick so i'm fine with that um then he gets in the ring and bobby Roode proceeds to pretty much fucking go blank forgets his lines they're like face to face with each other and they're mumbling. And I don't know if Ziggler was feeding him his lines or whatever, but yeah, 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 yeah. It was fucking awful. Um, and then, you know, ultimately they made the match for next week because, hey, let's do it right now. Oh, you want to do it now? No, I'm not going to do it now. We'll do it next week. No, no, no. Yeah, Which is no reason. The exact no same fucking right gimmick now. they did with Alexa and Mickey on Raw the night before. Um, but they do it again. Uh, for me, this was a big fucking red flag because I have serious concerns now. Uh, when you're talking about a guy who's new to the company and Bobby Roode and he has this kind of flub on national television this early into his run, that's the type of thing that makes Vince lose confidence in a guy very quickly and put a kibosh on any push he might have been considering. Let's not forget, uh, you know, they, they gave Cesaro the opportunity to do a pipe bomb type, pipe bomb type promo. And he said the ring had five sides. And then we never saw him again for a while until he was kind of repackaged again into what he is now. So, yes. And, and let us not forget good, 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 uh, lucha things. Yeah, Kaliso disappeared. And look how long it took him before he finally. But, but tell me the truth. When you're watching Raw and you go, they go to backstage and she's standing by to do an interview with Kalisto live on Raw. Tell oh, me, I am like, you weren't like, like whoa, on, hold on. Come on, do it. You're doing, doing glucha things. <laughs> Dance for me, Muppet. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned, but not that concerned because I always kind of felt Bobby Roode was not all that great. So, see, I'm a big Bobby Roode fan. I think if done right, he could definitely be an intercontinental title, U.S. title type of guy. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, he he needs to get away from Dolph quickly, though, because this is not working. Well, but Dolph's a great in-ring performer. Yeah, well, so is Natalia, so. <laughs> yeah, Shinsuke, that was the other guy I was thinking of that they were talking about having great matches with Dolph, and that didn't exactly pan out either. Yeah, that's true. Um, so speaking of guys who've had great matches with Dolph, AJ Styles. <laughs> Got himself a a rematch for the United States Championship. A second helping of Big Breakfast. A second helping of the Big Breakfast, yes. And I watched this match, 
And first of all, I thought, this is actually an entertaining match. Um, and then the finish came, and Baron Corbin went over clean. Which like, sort of makes you wonder why the fuck they even put Ty Dillinger in the pay-per-view match. Right. If ultimately because, you're going to have him just go over clean on AJ, just fucking do it on the pay-per-view. Right. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for, for them to turn around and wait until SmackDown to have him beat AJ Styles clean instead of just, yeah, just have him, have him have his big crowning achievement there. But obviously this does put an end to the storyline, essentially. You know, there's, there's really, he beat him clean. There's really no reason for Styles to continue to go for the U.S. championship at this point, right? I wouldn't think so, but do you have him come off losing two straight matches to Baron Corbin and, and then say, okay, well, that qualifies you to be in the world title picture? I also don't think he's being in the world title picture right off the bat. So, um, but well, where there, does he go? Of, I guess is the question. That's kind of the issue. Where does he go? Where does Shinsuke go? Where does, you know, where, where do a couple of these other guys go? Because I could see Shinsuke spinning off into a feud with Rusev. I think that would work. Um, I don't know that it does a whole lot for Shinsuke after coming off a world title program, but there's going to be a natural down um, step from that world title program to whatever else. Uh, but I could totally see that being the next direction, and you sort of saw some of that in the tag team match. We've got that. We've got, you know, the, the potential for, um, you know, Owens versus uh, McMahon to continue into Survivor Series and start building up those, you know, because that, Survivor Series is the next time SmackDown has a pay-per-view, correct? Uh, I think that's the next time. Yes, that's the next time they're on pay-per-view. Yep. So you can start building up to that of a, you know, Team Shane versus Team Owens match and have you... AJ, AJ join up with, with Shane. You could do that, but let me postulate something instead that I thought would be interesting. What if we end up, because, because they've, they've drawn obviously clear lines of, con, con, well, I guess, you know what? Let's finish talking about AJ. I'll get to I'll get to that theory in the next one. Okay. Speaking of the next one, <laughs> let's go ahead and go to that. The final in our perfect ten. The main event, if you will. The the main event of the perfect ten, and what was the most important and entertaining part of SmackDown was the explanation from Sami Zayn as to why he helped Kevin Owens win the match. Now, there was a lot of kind of speculation on what reasons Sammy was going to give for helping his greatest rival in, in, in beating Shane, and Sammy came right out and said it. He kind of shot from the hip a little bit here by talking about the fact that, you know, Shane said I was underutilized on Raw, he brought me to the land of opportunity, and I got zero opportunities. And I got blown off, and nobody really respected me. But it, and, and he equated it to when he got, you know, powerbombed by Kevin Owens on, on the side of the ring, that that was Owens kind of reminding him that, hey, you know, this, this isn't where you should be. And he explained it as much as Owens was right, that Sammy was being underutilized and Sammy was not being respected. And so, Sammy, of course, said that no matter what had happened in the past, these two were always going to be brothers. So we got a little little hug and sex session at the end. Of, oh, I see that that was a Freudian slip there. A little <laughs> hug and sex. Uh, 
You can do a little hug and sex in the middle of the ring. A live sex celebration between Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens took place. Gross. And uh, uh, these two guys continue to be... Uh, this was the best promo we've heard from Sami since joining WWE, I feel. Because it was it was impassionate. It was, you know, it was, it was on point. Him him and Kevin interacting with each other was always going to be great. Um, but I want to I hear your thoughts on the Sami Zayn-Kevin Owens segment. Um. So the, to me, there was there was some good and some bad to it. Um, first off, I thought Kevin Owens' promo introing him was great. Um, I thought all the little stuff was there that needed to be. There was even a, a St. Peter reference and a Pearly Gates yeah. reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it went a little bit off the rails when Sami Zayn came out to the same music doing the dance. Yeah, that's uh, true. That didn't seem to really fit a heel character. I was sort of hoping for like the slow saunter down to the ring and just kind of blowing off the fans and giving them shit-eating looks and all that stuff. Uh, instead, we got, you know, same old goofball Sammy doing his let's go and all that shit. Uh, when he got to the stairs, he sort of did the double arms up, but in a very mocking way, which I thought was at least a nice touch to it. Yeah. Um, and it was the first week. Give it time. Right, you know, yeah. He's, he, no, he's got a, this, this is the first time we've seen Sammy as a heel with the company, so... Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna hone in on this character, and we're gonna see what what he does with it. Yeah, and I thought Sammy's heel promo was great. I, I thought he did a very nice job with it. I guess for me, there was a part of me that was just sad watching this because, again, like I said earlier, if you can't take this guy and make him a sympathetic babyface that you can put over, it just sort of kills any hope for building a babyface in the future for me. Uh, that is true. If the only way you can take Sami Zayn and get him over to the next level is to turn him heel, that tells me you have no fucking way to tell stories about faces. Agreed. I mean, this is this is the guy who should have been the new Daniel Bryan. Yep, after absolutely. Daniel Bryan was out, and they continued to waste him, and they continued to not treat him like a credible threat. And you mean to losses point, to Aiden English on television week after week is not the way to build a face? Not really, not really. And then, of course, we've had the the dismantling of his character the past couple of months, where he turned into Woody Allen, and was essentially just a dweeb. Um. So yeah, it's there. There are some issues there. But like you said, I really enjoyed the notes of realism in the story that they told. Um. I, I was totally good with the, with the way they did that. Uh, and, and to what I was starting to, to dance around earlier is we're talking about possible angles going forward. And I think you've put, you've put Owens and Sammy sort of together as a team at this point, or at least a unified group. Um, to me, that maybe sets up for Shane getting a partner and maybe doing a, a, a tag team war, maybe like Shane and Triple H against Sammy yeah. and, and Owens or something along those lines. Or Shane and AJ. It could be, but I don't know that AJ has that level of, uh, connection to, to Shane to make it work. I think ultimately the end game here is a Triple H Kevin Owens program. Could be. I don't know. We'll see. Do you have anything else that you want to say in regards to Sammy or at least the Perfect Ten in general? I think I'm good now. I think I got everything off my chest. I feel sort of liberated at this point. Awesome. All right. Well, we did have a winner for the third fucking week in a row. That's just because nobody looks anymore. I look. Uh, well, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm second, so we'll, I, I continue to be second every week at this point. As long as I'm um, beating Adam, I'm okay. 
Well, that's not hard. All right. So Sal proceeded to ask us who on the current SmackDown Live roster should beat Jinder for the WWE Championship. And I think he is opening this up to doesn't matter if the healer face, um, because his answer, and I will play that voicemail in a second here, uh, is a heel. So spoiler alert. Yeah, so here is Sal's voicemail on the topic, and then we will answer it ourselves. Uh, and sadly, nothing really funny in the uh, in the transcript on this one. He apparently doesn't talks a little bit better when he doesn't have a dick in his mouth. So, <laughs> what's up, Rundown? I posted a quick question to you guys, to the hosts of the Rundown this week, of who should be the next WWE champion on SmackDown. Now, I know a lot of you will think of some obvious answers. People like AJ Styles, maybe even the Viper, Randy Orton. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is only one answer. For the work that he's been putting in, you have to give that belt to Kevin Owens. I don't care how you do it. I know everybody says heel on heel. doesn't work. But guess what? It can work. Okay? Especially the way Kevin Owens is received in general. Give Kevin Owens that belt and have him have all of the power on SmackDown. And with Sammy watching his back, it's the perfect championship title holder. That's my opinion. I think Kevin Owens needs to be here. They must to be the next WWE champion on SmackDown Live. Talk to you guys later. He delivered that like he was delivering the first episode of Sal of Salvation. Um, so it sounds Sal's, to me like why does it always sound to me like Sal's masturbating when he calls in? Like it's it's, it's got to be ah oh, Kevin Owens. Yeah, he's very out of breath, and 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 it worries me a little bit. Yes, it does. Uh, so yeah, so Sal says he thinks that Kevin Owens should be your next WWE champion. Who says you, Jason? <sighs> this is a tough one because because here's the thing. To me, there's only one logical person that makes sense at this point. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's two logical people that make sense. Uh, one being AJ Styles. Uh, the other, I'm hoping it's not because it would be John Cena. And if it's not John on SmackDown anymore, he well, doesn't he doesn't count it. It says current SmackDown roster. He's a free agent. John... He can be on SmackDown any fucking time he wants. Isn't he listed as Raw? No, he's a free agent. He can go to whatever show he wants to go to. All right. Well, you keep you keep talking, and I'm going to look that up. Okay. Um, the the reasoning being that if it's John Cena, my gut instinct is that that's going to be the WrestleMania program with Cena going for the record-breaking title win. So Jinder would then be holding that title till WrestleMania. So let's hope, hope against hope, that it is in fact AJ Styles, who it should be. The problem with that is that even if AJ wins it, do you go back to a Kevin Owens program? Do you, do you do a Sami Zayn program and hope that Sami kind of elevates himself as a heel to that level? I, I don't know. I, SmackDown, the problem is the top of the card has been sort of bereft of, of many guys, and Jinder holding the belt has done a lot of damage to the main event scene on SmackDown. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Um, I would say... Boy, it's it, it is difficult because, like I said, there's there's not that many contenders right now for it. You know, you pretty much you pretty much buried Shinsuke, although it should have been him. 
Um, you know, other, other than, you know, the guys that you've said, I mean, maybe we can build Sammy up a little bit more and, and make him a champion, but that's obviously a little bit too quick unless we're talking about, you know, farther down the line here. Plus that's uh, Middle Eastern on Middle Eastern crime. That is true. That's very true. Um, obviously, you know, I think Rusev would be great. Um, but other than bringing somebody over from Raw, it's, it's kind of difficult. It's kind of bereft of, of top of the mar, of, of the talent after AJ Styles. So. So who is your pick? Um, yeah, I guess I gotta kind of Ty agree Dillinger. with them. I guess I gotta kind of agree with them and go, Say um, Zack Ryder. Go Kevin Owens. Mojo Rosa. So, okay, you're right. It, it does not say that he, he has a brand. I thought he was, he was listed as Raw now. Never mind. Okay, so. I would say either Kevin Owens or John Cena. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I don't have I don't have much more to say about that because the guy the guy who I would have had beat him for the title just lost to him clean. So you know, oh. I mean, that that was your your great chance to build up a new star. You know, they don't Not, like to do that. Yeah, because the last time they did it, the guy broke his fucking shoulder off. So <laughs> it's much easier to bring in you know stars of yesteryear who can mm-hmm. squash your current talent in five seconds. Yeah, that's true. Maybe Goldberg. He hasn't gotten a shot at any titles in a while. Hey, there you go. Maybe Brock Lesnar. Maybe he can be champion of both shows. There you go. You divide them into the Galactic Championship or something. Then he can not show for two shows a week. There you go. And then, and then the U.S. title and the Intercontinental title can yet again remain as the top top titles on the show. Um, Which they pretty much already are anyway. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the Intercontinental one, eh. Maybe not so much. It's the biggest t- singles title on Raw these days. That well, no. I mean, the cruiserweight title is has been defended in the main event the last <laughs> week. So Ugh. that's a great segue. That is a great segue to the news. And leading off the news this week, there are rumors of Neville quitting the WWE and walking out before Monday's Raw in Indianapolis hit the air. The original plans for the Lumberjack main event had Neville losing to the Cruiserweight champion Enzo Amore, but plans changed and Kalisto ended up defeating Enzo for the title. In an update, F4WOnline.com confirms that Neville did in fact walk out of Raw before the show began and that his future is up in the air. WWE has officially denied that he quit the promotion. F4WOnline.com also notes that the originally planned Neville vs. Enzo match was supposed to be non-title. The first Kalisto vs. Enzo match wasn't supposed to happen until the October 22nd TLC pay-per-view, as announced just a few hours before Raw began. As noted... WWE has confirmed that Enzo will get his rematch for the title at TLC. Neville did not appear on WWE 205 Live last week, and his profile remains on the WWE website as of today. Neville last his last TV appearance came last Monday during a segment that saw Raw General Manager Kurt Angle announce that he had signed Kalisto to the Cruiserweight division. His last TV match came onto the September 26th edition of 205 Live in a win over Arya Davari. He did not work any weekend live events, but Cruiserweights rarely worked in non-televised events besides the occasional singles title match. For those who did miss it, the King of the Cruiserweights recently took to Twitter and gave a very negative review to his new t-shirt on WWE Shop saying, quote, this atrocity is not on the Neville level. The King deserves better, end quote. So, Troy, uh, what are your thoughts on Neville possibly walking out on the WWE? Um, it's unfortunate. 
um, for him because, you know, I know he's going to garner a lot of indie interest. I know that the Bullet Club was already trying to, to recruit him into their fold. Um, it's another one of those things where if, if the workers themselves continue to look at being in the cruiserweight division as a demotion, that's how your fans are going to feel as well. It's hard, it's hard to put over the cruiserweight division when you've got two guys now that have quit because they got put in the cruiserweight division. So. I, I, if you can go back further than that, go back to the cruiserweight classic, you have guys like Zack Sabre Jr. and Kota Bushi who didn't want to sign if they were just going to be cruiserweights because they saw the writing on the yep. wall. Very true. Very true. I forgot all about that. Yeah. So if, if the workers don't take it seriously, then yeah, then why should I? And a guy like Neville, is a guy who, maybe not a main eventer, should have been an Intercontinental Champion, should have been a United uh-huh. States Champion. And every time it looked like they were going to start doing things, they would then saddle him with a comic book gimmick. So I don't really blame him, honestly. He's been vastly underutilized. He joined the WWE in 2012. He was a NXT Tag Team Champion. And then an NXT champion. And a damn fine one at that. And then once he got brought up to the main roster, it took him a good, what, two, three years before they finally utilized him for anything. So I don't blame him at all for, you know, and they turned him heel and we thought, okay, well, he's doing really good work for 205 Live, but that's a character that could cross right back over onto the main roster. Mm -hmm. And then it seemed like they had no plans on doing that, so... Yeah, and I think here's the thing. We live in an age where indie wrestlers can make a very good living just being indie wrestlers. You look at guys like the Young Bucks and a lot of other guys around the world. Zack Sabre Jr., we mentioned, Kota Ibushi. These guys mm-hmm. can work indie dates, work their you know, New Japan or Ring of Honor dates, and make a very good living working where they want to work. When you look at what these Cruiserweight guys have, they're occasionally on 205 Live, Maybe once in a blue moon, if they're not the champion, they're on Raw, but they're not touring. They're not doing the house shows. So you got to think most of these guys are barely making their downside guarantee money. And they could be, they all know at this point, they could be making far more money just to be out there doing indies. And you look at up and down that roster, a guy like Cedric Alexander could probably be making a ton more money and getting even more exposure working PWG and Ring of Honor and et cetera, et cetera, than you know, hoping for the breadcrumb of being on this week's episode of 205 Live. And if you are the champion, the reward for that is working an extra night every week. Yeah. Because you're, because you're working both Monday and Tuesday. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult because there is a lot of talent there that could be utilized other places that is just, that are just not going to, you know, Kirito mm-hmm. Tozawa is a really good worker. Mm-hmm. You know, he, Obviously, he has you know, certain limitations to him, but so has other people in the past. You know, you look at a guy like Tony Nese, Drew Gulak, you know, these are guys that, you know, are could be utilized much better and are not. Um, the Bollywood boys somehow are, are continue to be employed. Um, <clears throat> and then you've got, you know, Enzo. We kind of talked about, you know, them them breaking up Enzo and Big Cass and what that would do. And like you said, he was doing good work. And then they immediately kicked his legs out from under his legs in order to have Kalisto be the fucking champion. Kalisto, a guy who has lost every fucking match I've ever watched him in. 
And yeah, it's not true. He beat Ryback at WrestleMania. That's true. There's, there's no, there's no consistent booking in there. They're, they're, they're hampered so much in what they can actually do in the ring that they, it can't even be fun. Occasionally like, they get that, a match for Alicia Fox though. Yeah. These are guys that, you know, that, that they do these kind of daredevil moves because they like doing it. They like to put on the show. And then they're told, oh, those things that made you special, those things that, that made the crowd love you and buy your merchandise, you can't do them anymore. You know? So that's, that's the issue. And you've got, got guys like Brian Kendrick. Is he even still employed anymore? I barely see him. I think he was in that crowd of lumberjacks. <laughs> you know? Like, say what like you want about Eric Bischoff, but Eric Bischoff took the cruiserweights, put them at the beginning of the show to get the crowd fucking pumped, and let them go out there and do what they did and set the bar for the rest of the show, and then told the main eventers, now you go out and exceed what they did. Yep. Instead, in the WWE, they take these guys and they tell them, don't do this because you can't outshine the top guys. Yep. Well, then that's the fault of the fucking top guys. Get better. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's always been kind of kind of the issue that we've seen is you know other guys are have been told even even your you know your your normal crew of guys not even the, the cruiserweights they've also been told ah you know you know let's let's book this match a certain way because we don't want to over overshadow what we're going to have in our main event when Brock Lesnar takes on Goldberg so yeah it's it's a shame and this is. This is the division that will not die. And until it does, we're going to keep having more and more guys get shuffled out until eventually they're bringing in, you know, this... people like Marsha Rocket and shit like that. So. Marsha Rocket. I don't give a fuck what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. Uh, the Sun is reporting that Conor McGregor is close to signing a deal with the WWE that would see him work a match at WrestleMania. A source said Conor is a huge wrestling fan. His entire persona on stage has developed from watching performers like Ric Flair and The Rock. There, these are the top dogs at self-promotion and tra- trash talk. He watched these guys when he was younger. This is something he's always wanted to do. The WWE guys have asked him to do shows before with them, but the timing has just never really been right. But this time it looks like a deal is going to be locked into place. He has some things to tie up in the UFC before he can do anything else, but this is a big money deal, so I can't see him turning it down. During Stephanie McMahon's media tour of the UK last week, she welcomed the idea of McGregor appearing with the WWE, saying, quote, I think Conor would be a perfect fit for the WWE, end quote, uh, he certainly has the personality, athletic ability, the appeal. He speaks his mind. He is very genuine and authentic, and he has a hell of Vince McMahon swagger. Uh, in February, McGregor revealed the WWE had been chasing him to appear in the ring, but he turned them down as he was lining up his fight with Floyd Mayweather Jr. He said, never say never. I'd love to go into the WWE and have a real knock. Let one of them be a real knock and see what's what. But we'll see. There's conversations ongoing. I've turned down some things. The conversation's still ongoing. Uh, yay or nay on Conor McGregor in a WrestleMania match? What else does he have to do at this point? I mean, what what else does he have in UFC? What else does he the have in boxing? Thir- the third Nate Diaz fight. Yeah, who gives a shit? GSP? So, yeah, who gives a shit? So, yeah, so... You, are you kidding me? <laughs> who gives a shit of Conor McGregor versus GSP? No, I, I would, I would, I would totally mark up for that. If Him GSP, the, if GSP beats Bisping, that's got to be the next thing. Yeah, and and that's what he talks about when he says he's got some things to to finish up in UFC over there. Um, but in terms of what does he have to prove, 
nothing. He's a, he's a champion in multiple weight divisions. Um, you know, the boxing thing did not work out very well. Uh, but he made a shit ton of money on it, as did everybody involved in that. So, um, I mean, I loved Ken Shamrock when he came over to WWE and McGregor is a great talker and he's, he's custom made for being a heel. And if, if they can teach him a little bit of wrestling, yeah, I'm fine with it. I'd watch it. Well, uh, as we continue the trend of UFC fighters getting into professional wrestling, TMZ recently caught up with Ronda Rousey and her husband, MMA fighter Travis Brown at LAX. And she was asked about whether she would be joining the WWE in the near future. Rousey played coy saying, if you were a real fan, would you really want to know? Before adding that, I enjoy it more that way. I don't want to ruin anything. Her husband also seems to be considering a jump to professional wrestling. As he said, we're still making decisions on my part. I'm not going to say no. Uh, I don't know if fuck if Travis Brown joins WWE, but, uh, I think it's pretty clear at this point there's there's too much smoke for there not to be fire when it comes to Ronda Rousey and the WWE. Yeah, speaking of fire, I almost lit my dick on fire when that picture of her cute little pussy came out. Just by rubbing it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I'll send it to you. Uh, I'm pretty sure you already sent it in the host thread, so. Oh, okay. All right. I get in trouble for sending those now, so I can't do that anymore. Why do you get in trouble? Who's, who got you in trouble for that? <clears throat> Sal's wife. <clears throat> tell Sal's wife. Tell Sal to tell his wife to stop reading his fucking text messages. I did. <laughs> well, at any event, uh, Bret Hart. Well, now you, well, now you got you now you got to edit that out because otherwise he's gonna get pissed off at me. <laughs> when has that ever stopped you? I don't. Want, I don't want to lose the only person who actually cares about our show. <laughs> uh, Bret Hart has given a scathing assessment of the way Eric Bischoff dealt with talent during his time in WCW. During Four out of ten. <laughs> During an interview on the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, Hart gave examples of Bischoff's mismanagement and described him as, quote, the worst loser maggot that ever got into wrestling, end quote. Uh, the hitman spent three years in WCW between 97 and 2000, during which time Bischoff was executive vice president of the company. In August, WWE tweeted a clip from the WWE Network series Monday Night Wars where Hart claimed that the, his former boss rejected the chance to use Mike Tyson on WCW programming before the boxer's appearances in WWE. Bischoff dismissed the claim as absolute nonsense and advised that Bret Hart undergo a dementia check. Uh, he has also previously said that Hart, compared to his WWE days, was like a broken toy when he joined WCW. Despite ending his wrestling career on a bad note, Bret has since regained his enthusiasm for the product and made cameo appearances for WWE in recent years. Enthusiasm being a very wide-ranging word, I think, in that case. Um, asked about his disappointing time in WCW, Hart accused Bischoff of destroying his last few years as a wrestler and said his former boss was, quote, too stupid to know what a career was. Hart added, if you have a passion for your matches or genius for wrestling talent, it didn't mean anything to Eric Bischoff. He was the worst loser magnet that, maggot that ever got into wrestling. In response to Bischoff's comments that Hart was like a broken toy in WCW, the hitman insisted he was just as passionate about wrestling when he joined the company as he was during his time in WWE. I could strangle him when I hear him say that because it's so not true. I was so on fire. I wanted to take the world on. He was such an idiot. I would say all night to him that if he were if he were next to you. Uh, of course, to Sam Roberts in the interview. So, uh, I gotta say, given what I know of Bret Hart, I Gotta sort of side with uh, Bischoff on this one. Given what we know of Bret Hart, 
uh, he's an asshole. So yeah, kind of kind of hard. Bischoff, I mean, by his own admission, is an asshole too. Bischoff was an asshole, but you know what? Uh, did Brett really ever show that he was all that passionate when he got to WCW? He was a very different person then, and a lot of the guys there were just there for the money and to cash checks. Whereas I think that you know a lot more of the guys in WWE were there because they wanted to succeed and they wanted to to put on a good show. Um, because they were obviously had offers that for more money and they turned them down because they wanted to be where they could be a little more free. So, uh, yeah, fuck Bret Hart because he's an asshole and fuck Brett Bishop because he's an asshole. But yeah, I'm with you on this. I got to side, I got to side with, uh, with asshole number two. <laughs> uh, a blind item from celebrity gossip websites surfaced this week, apparently involving two WWE couples and cocaine use. The following was posted on Wednesday on the crazydaysandnights.net site, saying, I'm not sure how strong the new drug policy is for this made-for-television organization that you can see live is. Two of the female stars of the organization were doing lines off each other, while their boyfriends, also in the organization, simulated sex behind them earlier this week at a party. So, this is also the same site that originally uh, made note of, in a very not-so-veiled way of page you know, functioning as a drug mule to pay off her coke debts after her drug dealer didn't want to fuck her anymore. Um, a, how reliably do you take this story, Troy? And B, any guesses as to who the two female performers are? We mentioned earlier about the WWE having a drug problem. Uh, it's not nearly as bad. And the whole, like, her being a drug mule thing, I didn't believe that either. So I don't know how much I believe that they were... There were two, two WWE people at a club doing coke and nobody else picked up the story. Well, uh, to be fair, nobody said it was at a club. They said it was at a party. Okay, a party. So it could have been a private party with only a few people. I don't know, because that's the problem is like, I'm, then you try to go through the people, like, I don't think that I see Naomi as a, as a cokehead because that would be, Somebody who has a, a significant other. Okay, but let me just throw this out there for you. Uh-huh. Okay, so the girls are doing coke off of each other mm-hmm. while the boyfriend simulated sex behind them. Mm-hmm. Tell me you couldn't see Dean Ambrose doing that part. I could see pretty much any of the WB wrestlers doing that part. <laughs> so a- that's... Ambrose and Renee Young, I mean, he is the titty master, so there's that. Yeah. Um, but I could see that couple being involved. And then, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I see Renee Young as as a cokehead. You don't have to be a cokehead to do a line of coke. Well, I know that, but I just I don't. Just La- don't Lana see and Rusev. That I can see. She's an actress. Yeah. Huh? And Rusev is a funny guy, and I think that he would totally pretend to to fuck his wife behind her. Um. So then, okay. So so let's say it's Lana and Rusev. Okay. All right. So who's so who is Lana doing coke off of? Because I told you. This, I think it's Renee Young. Because this is getting hot. I think it's Renee and, Young and Dean Ambrose. And my pants are coming off. So you think <laughs> it's... Okay. Like I said, I mean, it's... it's, uh, it's a, let's be honest. It's probably not Cena and Nikki Bella. They're way too PR conscious, right? So. Oh, there's no fucking way it's them. Exactly. So let's... let's because, we can and, rule and, them out. And here's, here's the number one reason. Because John Cena would be recognized. Even if it's sure. like a party... There's no way that the phone's not coming out. Right. And somebody's catching John fucking Cena do you know, pretending to have sex with his wife 
and his wife doing blow, who is also on a network television show right now. Right. So those two are too high profile. I could totally see. Yeah, I could see Renee Young because let's not forget who Dean Ambrose is, man. Right. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I'm I'm all right, all right. But again, like I said, I you, you could say this at any point in time and probably. So, ladies right. and gentlemen, Troy has confirmed that it is Dean Ambrose and Renee Young and Lana and Rusev. And they were doing coke off each other's fucking hard ass nipples while Rusev was pretending to st- shove his fucking machka down Dean Ambrose's throat. I think they were simulating sex with their wives, not each other. Oh, I didn't read it as that. I read it as they were pretending to buttfuck each other. I don't know if I got it that way. They were behind their, they were behind them, right? Well, I thought behind each other's wives, like, you know, pretending to do them from behind. I just thought that they were like standing behind them and they were pretending to fuck each other. There's That's, always Charlotte. Charlotte's got Charlotte's supposedly rumored to be dating Byron Saxton, so. Oh man, it would be so difficult to do coke off those tits. Bray Wyatt and JoJo? You would have to readjust after doing it off of one to get you, the other one. You could do it off of JoJo's ass. That is true. That is very true. Okay. This this conversation took a took a sexy turn. Yeah, so. I feel like it did. I I'm hard right now. I busted it actually. Big dog. Um, well, this will kill that. Uh, Brock Lesnar is officially the longest reigning Universal Champion in WWE history. He like broke that was hard. He broke Kevin Owens' record of 188 days as Universal Champion last Sunday. Uh, there have been four Universal Champions after the title was introduced last year. Finn Balor became the inaugural champion in August of 2016, but relinquished the title a day later due to a shoulder injury. Owens would win the belt on Raw in August 2016 before dropping the title to Goldberg at Fastlane in March of 2017. Lesnar then defeated Goldberg at WrestleMania 33 to become Universal Champion, and no one's seen him since. <laughs> uh, do you think this this accolade will be right up there for Brock Lesnar with with all the great accomplishments he's had? Um, I think even he forgets he's Universal Champion. <laughs> uh. I bet you, I bet you once he picks up his bag from the airport, he's like, why is this so fucking heavy? And he opens up, he's like, oh, that's right. They gave me a championship. <laughs> fucking suckers. <sighs> that's either, all that... either that or he opens up, he's like, wait, we're still doing that? I haven't lost that yet. Hey, Jeez. does Sable count? Cause I could totally see her doing a line of coke. <sighs> we haven't seen Sable in years. Do we know that she's alive? <laughs> I think she, I, I've seen her at the UFC fights. Okay. She might be stuffed and preserved, but I really I fucking know. hope Brock Lesnar doesn't listen to this show somehow. I don't know. Well, let's, we can check to see if we've got any, uh, viewers in Minnesota. That's Canada uh, now. He's Canadian now. Oh, he is Canada now, yeah. isn't he? Saskatchewan, I, to, I believe. I hate to break it to you. We got, we got listeners in Canada. Fuck. Now I'm screwed. <sighs> anyway, uh, with Aesthetic Magazine, cause apparently that's Oh, don't thing. worry, don't worry. It's not Saskatchewan. Okay. Vancouver, Vancouver Ottawa, and Toronto. Shout out. Okay. So uh, I, I think we're good. <laughs> when Aesthetic Magazine asked him who he would want to induct him himself into the WWE Hall of Fame, Chris Jericho rejected the very idea itself, saying, quote, I don't think st- about stuff like that. Like I said, if it happens, I probably wouldn't even show up. I don't like this big pomp and circumstance things like retirement matches and everybody kissing your ass telling you how great you are, because I know how great I am. So I don't need people telling me that. So depending on what the mood I'm in, I've always been the anti-star for that kind of thing anyways. But yeah, I'll leave that up to somebody else, but not me. I'll show up, maybe, depends on how I feel. 
When asked what his favorite WWE match is, he said, Probably my match with Shawn Michaels back in 2008. It was just the culmination of a great angle with a really great storyline. Um, Chris Jericho, very definitively non-definitive. Uh, first of all, I don't believe a fucking word he just said. Because it's Chris Jericho. So, I don't, I don't fucking believe that at all. Sorry. You can say what you want. You can try to pretend that, oh, I, I wouldn't even show up, man. I'm, I'm so above that shit. He would be there in the fucking front row. <laughs> and he'd be talking about it on his podcast for weeks, dude. For fucking weeks. So no. He'll be there. He'll, he'll be in, he'll be the headliner in a couple of years. We know he's going to be in there. I mean, he's, got, he's had too good of a career for him not to be, but. Huh. Okay. Uh, just weeks after announcing it, Impact Wrestling has launched their over-the-top subscription service called Global Wrestling Network. The company sent out a press release explaining that it's a, quote, multi-platform digital service designed to give fans around the world instant 24-hour access to the extensive Impact Wrestling library. Impact also says the service includes every classic pay-per-view event from TNA's history, reality shows, and documentaries, exclusive events, cards from international promotions and partners, classic content from old territories, and over 1,000 hours of original programming. Plus, the company says you'll have the ability to purchase premium live pay-per-view events. GWN will allegedly be available on all major platforms and devices, the iOS Store, the Google Play Store, plus it is supposedly coming soon to Roku, Xbox, Amazon Fire TV, and Smart TVs. A premium subscription costs $7.99 per month, with a 30-day free trial for new members. To which I ask, Troy, will you be signing up? Um, no. And you know why I won't be signing up? Because their website is not secure. <sighs> Head on over to our Facebook page and see the image that I posted, which shows that, yes, if you put in your credit card information, it is on a non-secure site. <laughs> so be prepared to have your information stolen from you. <laughs> Probably by impact because they got bills Probably. to pay. Yeah, they got they got wrestlers to pay. I think uh, they're still paying Hulk Hogan at this point. Well, here's the interesting part: they've recently severed all ties to Jeff Jarrett and taken all the Global Force interests out of their name. Yet their wrestling network, the Global Wrestling Network. Yes, yes. So that makes sense. Yeah. Good it news though, sense. Troy, for you. Uh, if you ever split with the misses. Uh, Barbie Blank, who is known as Kelly Kelly in the WWE, has split with her husband, former NHL ice hockey player Sheldon Surrey. Uh, they separated a couple of months ago, a, a source close to Blank told Us Magazine. Barbie is already going on dates with other guys. Blank Surprise. <laughs> Blank she probably was before they got split. Uh, Blank 30 and Surrey 41 got married in Cabo San Lucas on February 27th of 2016 after being engaged for over a year and a half. The wedding and events leading up to it were documented on the second season of the e-reality series Wags. Uh, their split has been rumored since the summer when she began referring to herself as just Barbie Blank rather than Barbie Blank Saray on social media. Blank has yet to comment directly on the split. Uh, Troy, are you familiar with the TV show Wags? Um, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with the term. I understand what it means. Um, but no, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that Kelly Kelly even was still alive at this point. I would have, I would have bet money that cocaine had done her in. <laughs> 
Do you think she was doing a line of cocaine off somebody? Uh, possibly. Um, maybe off of a hockey stick. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Um, but also, don't, don't date her. You don't want, you don't want, you don't want a hockey player to come at you. <laughs> being, being beat up with a hockey stick is pretty demoralizing. So, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good point. Uh, speaking of people who have a knowledge of cocaine, PW Insider is reporting that Bradley Cooper is waiting for an updated version of the screenplay for the Vince McMahon biopic Pandemonium before deciding if he wants to play the role of McMahon in the film. It was noted that the plan is to start filming in the spring of 2018, which is contingent on an approved, finalized script and cast. Uh, Troy, would you cast Bradley Cooper as Vince McMahon? And if not, who do you think would do a better job as Vince? Boy, that's difficult. He's such a like. You know, there's not a lot of people that look like him. <laughs> I was thinking Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, I could see that. Or Bruce Campbell. He's got the chin for it. Or Rusev. Yeah, there you go. Rusev is true. <laughs> uh, just just have Shane do it. Hey, there you go. You do that. But Shane's who, Shane's busy. Yeah, who would play Who would play Stephanie? Uh Barbie Blank. There you go. Um, the good thing is they'd save a lot of money because they just need to like have a wax figurine to be Linda McMahon. <laughs> or just a crash test dummy with a blonde wig. Yeah, just a crash test dummy and, and a, a speaker for a mouth. Just have Kane do the, his old... Yeah. Um, I, boy, I, I know that McMahon is going to try to get his, his hands on this movie, and if that's the case, there's going to be a scene where Bradley Cooper whips out a 13-inch dick. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> uh, God damn, pal. What do you mean I've gone too far? How far do you think this thing will go? Uh, I don't think I've gone far enough. Uh, Is that it? That's it. That's it for the news. I think I think we got to end on Vince McMahon whipping out his 13-inch cock. Uh, as, as is tradition. Um, but you're not done talking yet because you need to tell everybody what's going on. Lucky Pro Wrestling. Well, this coming Saturday, Lucky Pro Wrestling presents Fall Frenzy from the Elks Hall in Clinton, Massachusetts. That is this Saturday, October 14th. Anthony Green and the LPW champion Vern Vicalia will each have a pick-your-poison match. Green has decided that Vicalo will defend the LPW heavyweight title against the kingpin, Brian Malonis, and Vicalo has chosen Green's opponent to be his fellow horseman and first-ever LPW champion, Mike Webb. Uh, for the first time ever, the LPW tag titles will be on the line in a last team standing match as the Aristocrats take on the heavy hitters, and it's the hitters' last chance at Tag Team Golden LPW. The Riot, Kellen Thomas, will take on Big Jim Anderson. Also announced, Brickmass Stone defends the Hard Knocks Championship against Cam Zagami. Davian will defend the LPW Women's Championship in a four-way dance against Delmi Exo, Adira, and Isana. That guy, Scotty Slade, will go one-on-one with the almighty Anthony Stone. Tyler Nitro will take on Machado, who is accompanied by Taylor Hendricks. Also scheduled, Ilya Markopoulos, Christian Casanova, Natalia, not that one, Christopher James, Pitbull, Marco Santiago, and the return of the Halloween Battle Royal. It saddens me that this is going to be the last time you say Natalia, not that one. <laughs> well, they could book her for the next show. <clears throat> that is true, that is true. 
Uh, now with less spilling, I, spelling. I just errors. don't want to. I just don't want to falsely advertise and have people showing up thinking they're seeing crazy, uh, farty McCatface, and she's not but, there. No, no, you don't want to falsely uh, cost LPW any chances of ticket sales because people <laughs> think that Natalia was there. If you're in the Wisconsin area, now with less spelling errors, Bruce City Wrestling <laughs> brings our our 12th annual Halloween Spooktacular show on Friday, October 20th, to the Columbus Club of West Allis. It's Nightmare on 92nd Street, featuring the Costume Royal Battle Rumble. <laughs> Bell time is 7.30 p.m. Doors open at 6.45. Tickets are $20 ringside. General mission at the door is $18 or $16 if you go to BruceCityWrestling1.com and use PayPal. At an admission, there will be a contest for best costume for adults and kids. Tickets are on sale now. Is that best adult costume, like Naughty Nurse or Catwoman? or? I mean, I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> Bruce City Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion Max Holiday takes on Tokyo Monster Kahagas. Is the Bruce City Championship defended outside the borders of the United States? Um, Maybe. I, don't I mean, that look. would be a defining characteristic of a world championship, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd have to look into it, but... Yeah, potentially. Okay. I think I think I think that they're not limited to being defended <laughs> by the United States. They just might not have ever left the United States. Like if Portugal called, we'd defend the title there. Yeah, of course. But they're not calling. Uh intergender tag team match as King of Ice Cream Tyler Sunday and Blue Phoenix Vanessa Azor take on the evil threat Eviltis and Evil Sierra. Now missing another championship belt. She's on kind of a losing streak. An eight-man tag team yeah, that, battle. that heel turn hasn't worked out so well for her. <laughs> Not really. As Team Michigan, Malice, Corbettier, and the Nomads take on Team Wisconsin, Russ Jones, D.W. Ebe, Onyx Andretti, and GFW star, Marche Marshy Rocket. <laughs> Marshy Rocket. <laughs> also, Marche, Marche, Marche. Yep. The 12th annual Costume Royal Battle Rumble. The AIWS. I still think that's spelled wrong. It's not, because it, they've had numerous opportunities to fix it, and that's the way that it's, it's pronounced. There were a lot of a- spelling errors that they had numerous opportunities to fix. And they fixed them now, so... The AIWF Women's... Did you World write into Women's, them? I don't know, but oh. I should have. The AIWF World Women's Championship is defended as Tenshi, the brand new champion, will take on the Midwest Slayer, Stacy Shadows. Also on the card, shooter Scott Marciano will take on AC Riley. Card always subject to change... More fan demonomium. Matches announced soon. Head over to Twitter at BCW1 or Facebook, Bruce City Wrestling 1. Jason? I'm going to to try to get through this one fairly quick because I know DOA Pro Wrestling's up next and we need to leave (laughs) like a half hour for that one. So, Liberty States Wrestling returns to the John McCarthy Elementary School in Peabody, Mass. On Saturday, October 21st, doors open at 6.30 p.m. The bell time is 7 p.m. Tickets are just $10 and the card so far features Josh Briggs versus Brickmass Stone. Todd Sopel issuing another open challenge for his Some Limits Championship. The main (laughs) event features Christian Casanova defending the Liberty States Heavyweight Championship against Ilya Markopoulos, and that's one you don't want to miss. He gets around, man. Who? Which one? Ilya Markopoulos. Okay, they both do, but Ilya... Yeah, Ilya was on uh, the WCW version of Tough Enough at one point. Nice. Very nice. Not WCW, uh, sorry, TNA. TNA, yep. DOA Pro Wrestling presents Halloween Hysteria, Saturday, October 28th, at the Waddles Boys and Girls Club in Portland, Oregon. Is that Main just event for fat kids? 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> in a clash of arguably the two best wrestlers in the Pacific Northwest, DOA Grand Champion Ethan HD will take on former champion Mike Santiago. No count-out, no DQ, and no time limit. It's a super clash of the crazy versus the weird in the Halloween Hysteria co-main event as the unholy duo of Dr. Luther and Devil Drexel will take on the weirdo hero, Ravenous Randy, and the warlord of weird, Sin Bode. DOA Pure Championship will have a three-way dance as the champion Julian White takes on HBQ Quiz and CW Edwards. DOA Hollywood Hysteria brings you a battle of the brawlers as the the Lion of the Pacific Northwest, Wade Hess, takes on the former gentleman but always a brawler, Eric Wright. More matches announced in upcoming days. Advanced tickets available now at doaprowrestling.com slash tickets. VIP front row is $15, general admission $12, kids 5 to 11 $8. Tickets day of the show at the door are $3 more and cash only. There's a lot of weird nicknames and initials in that announcement. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> ICW returns on October 29th for TLC Insanity at La Pica Lounge on 35th and Lincoln on the south side of Milwaukee. Doors are open at 3.30 p.m. with a 4 p.m. bell time. All seating is $15. ICW is Milwaukee's only R-rated pro wrestling show, so bring the kids so they can watch <laughs> the ICW world title take place at a TLC match as the Greek god GQ Giannis takes on Stacy Shadows. That's an intergender match, by the way. The number one contenders will match for the world title as Jet Joey Avalon will take on No Ma'am leader M-A-C. I'm not sure if he's Mac or M-A-C. Write in and let me know. Is this gimmick based around the Married with Children No Ma'am group? Um, I don't know. I haven't been to Milwaukee in a while. Because we're going back to, like, 80s TV sitcoms for wrestling gimmicks now? Uh, I mean, we do it in WWE, so why yeah, not? Fair enough. Beaver Cleavage happened. Yeah. Uh, there will be a first blood match as high-class Mo Foley takes on Pitstain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't even. All right. And which um, pit stain? Wasn't there like two pit stains last time? No, you're talking. You think about Pitbull. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not sure what this is, but there's a match that's called the Lego Madness match. As former guest of the Rundown Sit Down, the fabled one Aesop Mitchell will take on Evil Dis Function. ICW Midwest Title Match. As we see Sean Priest take on the Riot starter Vinny Riot, drug-free Jack Blackwell will take on Pitbull Zach McGowan, the kid Vinny Scarpone will take on Shooter Scott Marciano, and we have the ICW Tag Team Champion Sierra versus No Ma'am Leader, oh, sorry, member, No Ma'am, No Ma'am member, Tyler Sunday. Jacob Hoffman will take on Kato. Uh, I don't care about who's your ring announcer, but the GM, of course is the one and only Silas Young. Hey, fuck you, we gotta give some love to the ring announcers. Sorry, ring announcer is JP, because he can't figure out his last name. Head official, El Vato, Jose Guerrero. Wait, 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 we're running through, like, fucking ring announcers and head officials now? <laughs> legendary official, Farmer Vic. Leg- legendary official, Angel Armani. And secondary official, Jason Lee, not the actor. How do we determine who's a legendary <laughs> official and who's a secondary official? Well, are they legendary, or I've, are they secondary? Well, I've never heard of the legendary officials either, so... Well, there you go. But you probably heard them of a little bit more than the secondary official. I would 
Yes, I would <laughs> I would argue the validity of that statement. One thing I have heard of though is that UFO Wrestling is back with their annual Thanksgiving Eve event featuring the Turkey Rumble as they present Halloween I'm sorry, Harvest Havoc twenty seventeen on Wednesday, November twenty second at seven PM. Just a reminder, Troy, that is the day before the night before Thanksgiving, hence oh. Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, the event is also a fundraiser for the Tynan Community Center. Matches announced so far. The main event is for the UFO Heavyweight Championship as the kingpin Brian Malonis defends the title against the dynasty Bo Douglas. In a no countout, no DQ three-way dance, Evan Six takes on Aaron Amadeus and Tim Lennox, the slam dance himself. So the selfie-made man Vern Vicalo takes on Ilya Markopoulos because he's everywhere. Uh, Furio Falcone takes on Osiris. The cool people make their first defense of the UFO Tag Team Championships against Team DTF, Dan Terry and Channing Thomas. <laughs> Davian takes on Belmont. Benny Jux. It. What's that? <laughs> Team DTF. I get it. DTF is Dan Terry Fitness. So. Or Down to Fuck. I've never heard of that. Uh, you never heard DTF? No. You never do. Oh, she's DTF, bro. No, I've never heard of that. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's literally Down to Fuck. That's that's where the name comes from. Come on. I'm pretty sure it's just a wrestling gimmick for Dan Terry Fitness. Pretty sure it's down to fuck. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's not. I've never heard of that. I I would have heard of that if that were a thing. All right. Well, you go ahead and ask him the next time you see him. Be like, hey, man, is your DTF thing? Is that supposed to be a take on down to fuck? And he's going to be like, yeah, man, you got it. So you want me to ask a sweaty wrestler if he's down to fuck? Yes. That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, it's your show. Uh, anyway, uh, Benny Jux has issued an open challenge to any three participants for a Fatal 4-Way. Adira will make her UFO Wrestling debut. Also, we have the annual Turkey Rumble, and the following competitors have already thrown their names in the ring. Channing Thomas, Connor Tice, the Castle Island Assassin, Sully Banger, King Leon the Sixth, Ike, and the SOG Ronnie Ribs. More matches will be announced soon. Front row tickets are $15 in advance and $20 at the door. General admission is $10 in advance and $15 at the door. Reserve your tickets safe and securely through the friends and family feature on PayPal at paypal.me slash Patrick Dillon, title it <laughs> Havoc. Uh, search for UFO Wrestling on Facebook for more info. <laughs> Uh, the, <laughs> and if you haven't gotten enough UFO wrestling on Thanksgiving weekend, you can check out Black Friday on Friday night, November 24th at 7 p.m. from the Bell Time Club. It is 40 Broadway Street, Wakefield, Massachusetts. The UFO wrestling, I'm sorry, the UFO wrestling is back with the Black Friday show presented by the Bell Time Club. Tickets are $10 in general, and if you purchase a general admission ticket to Harvest Havoc, you'll get a Black Friday ticket for just $5. So far, the only announcement is that the selfie-made man, Vern Vicalo, will get his title shot that he earned almost a year ago prior to his injury. His opponent will be determined by the main event between Malonis and Bo Douglas at Harvest Havoc. Now, question. You have it yes. both ways on here. Is it bell time, two words, or bell time? Bell time. So one word. Right. Okay. Just because yeah. you have it differently above there. I read it the same way. Okay. I'm just going to see if it, uh, if, if I can sneak Johnny Adlog into your Turkey Rumble thing next <laughs> week. If you, if you remember to take him out or not. I'm going to uh, <laughs> see if I can get Dan Terry as a future guest on the sit down just so I can. Ask him about the DTF thing now. But there you go. Pretty that'll, sure that'll that'll be my one com- one, one contribution to the rundown sit down. Pretty pretty sure it's da- Dan Terry Fitness. Okay, down to fuck. All right. 
That does it for the rundown for this Wednesday, October 11th, 2017. It has been 144 days since Pete Dunne won the WWE United Kingdom Championship, and it was never seen again. That's not true. It was on NXT (laughs) like three weeks ago. You just don't watch NXT. I don't, which is why it was never seen again by me. (laughs) Oh, boy. Go to audibletrial.com slash rundown for a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. I'm pretty sure everybody has signed up for Audible at this time, and they don't let you like re-sign up for different things because they have that linked pretty good. Follow us on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. Email the show rundownwrestling at gmail.com because nobody does. And we are now on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash rundownwrestling to become a patron. Currently, there is just one reward level, the Rundowner, for which $5 a month grants you one patron-only episode of The Rundown. And we don't have to make that Rundown episode yet because we haven't gotten the money from this month. So once we do, then we will definitely be working on getting that. Leave us a voicemail like Sal did at 617-863-6967. That's 61RUNDOWN7. Head over to Facebook.com slash Rundown Wrestling and like our Facebook page. Check out the Slasher Sanitarium if you're a fan of horror and you're a fan of listening to me talk. For hours on end. Listen to our friends Brian Malonis and Mike Crockett on the West... I always do that. Fucking A. The <laughs> wrestling podcast about nothing. Head to Facebook.com slash WPAN. Subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast to hear all of our other great shows. NXT Revisited, The Rundown Sit-Down, WrestleMania Salvation, Glow Stick, and the Nitro Mania Podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to my co-host Jason. Thank you, Jory. Thank you to Ray Williams for the logo, and thanks again to Jason for our named new theme song. Next week, big news! We bring, we bring you a very special guest to the rundown. He is a fan, and we are quickly becoming a fan of his. Justin Michaels, the host of Yesterland Waltz, a new show available on YouTube. Just head on over to YouTube.com and search for Yesterland Waltz. Follow them on Twitter at TuffTV and at YesterlandWalls, and be sure to check back next week as Justin Michaels joins Jason and possibly myself, depending on if my kids decide to help me out or not. <laughs> but yes, we will have our very first big special guest of guy we've never met before, but go ahead and check it over to Yesterland Waltz and see a very charismatic guy, a guy who has a history of the business, and we are very excited to have him guest host next week. Yeah, this, is, this isn't like some TV guy popping in to do a wrestling show. This is a wrestling guy who now has a TV show. That's correct. That's true. Tough TV, yep. So yeah, follow Tough TV and Yesterland Waltz. Check back next week. And until then, bye. see you next Thursday. The Rundown Wrestling Podcast was created and subsequently abandoned by Adam Salzer and is produced and edited by Jason Stewart. This episode was hosted by Troy Bozen and Jason Stewart. I guess we're a member of the Questionable Endeavor Network. Check out all of their shows, including the other wrestling shows like the Raw Attitude Podcast and the New Blood Rising Podcast, a show about tacos, something involving anime, and other shit at questendnetwork.com. And tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast.